Hey guys, we produce this podcast for no other reason than to have a positive impact on the lives of you guys, the listeners, by sharing the stories and lessons of some incredible business owners. If you'd like to support our show, please head to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, rate us five stars and leave a review. Your review would be greatly appreciated and keeps us going. And now back to the show. Hello, legends. Today, I catch up with Cub member Stephen Pasta, founder and CEO of Kings and Neon, an international neon lighting signage business disrupting the old established industry of signage. Stephen and I discuss how to stand out in a crowded market and the importance of systemizing customer reviews, business as a tool for self-fulfillment and belonging, and the importance of understanding the dream experience of your customer. Stephen is a young, successful, ambitious entrepreneur whose company I have no doubt you've seen on your social medias. Enjoy the show. How long have you been a member for? I've been a member since September last year. And how did you hear about Cub? Cub, I heard about David Keir. So David Keir on an actual podcast. On this podcast? On this podcast, or, oh, you were yeah. listening to this podcast before you were Yeah, there. yeah. So I was uh, I was on the fence, I'll be honest, with Cub uh, for about a year. Yeah. And, and a few of the boys kept obviously uh, hounding me on LinkedIn and, yeah, and whichever <laughs> else. And I just thought, you know what, I'll, I'll just immerse myself into the whole journey. And, um, and I listened to obviously your podcast as well and heard the journey of David and Obviously, just that wealth of knowledge. Have you met David since have you met. a member? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have met David. Yeah, so we've had a few run-ins, which is great. Good run-ins, yeah, not bad yeah, run-ins. Yeah, yeah. I didn't jab him in the face. No, 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 no. More of a yeah, nice, yeah. A friendly cohesive conversation. For sure. But for sure. he's actually one of the best, if not, yeah, he's one of the best experts in franchise businesses and franchising in, in Australia. David is, is like a master of basically scale. He's a, he's a master of scale, but in particular in franchising. Um, and so, what what um, what what appeals to you about his podcast episode? I think the the fact of the matter is is like there's one element where I'm from the Central Coast, so Central Coast isn't a great array of uh, entrepreneurs, so to speak, or, or entrepreneurs, especially in my sort of field. But then I just really appreciated the authenticity. It almost felt like David was 20 or 30 years along the journey to where I am now, and there was like an element there that I just felt obliged to meet him. Oh, that's yeah. awesome! There yeah. you go, Laura. See, podcast not only is just entertaining and helps people, but we also gain members. There you go. You're the first person on the podcast oh, that? that we've oh, had okay. that said that, so it's good. Oh, I there mean, you go. We, we always see like, Tick. you know, when people submit leads and things, it, it, it always says podcast, but it's nice to know that that's how you found us. For sure. And I don't even know why we're talking about Cub. We never actually start talking about Cub on the podcast. I want to talk about you and Kings of Neon. Yep. Um, now, tell me about your business because so it's literally a neon lighting business, yes? Literally a neon lighting business, yeah. T- tell me the story. Yeah, so uh, the story, the story, story, or just the story is in what it is. No, no, the, the, big story? Uh, the actual story. Like, how does one start a neon lighting business, and where does that idea come from? Yeah, so uh, so oddly enough, I actually had a, a wedding sort of DJ event business. Um, so I came out of uh, retail management. And I was sort of jacked and didn't know what to do. So I thought I was a DJ for about one year when I was 18. So my mates and I at the time decided to become DJs, which was an interesting journey. Um, but then through that journey, uh, we needed to sort of increase our average sales, so to speak. And we started to look at different sort of items to sort of add and make sure that we, we got some more sort of juice, some more cash out of each event. And uh, yeah, actually enough, um, there was a lady that actually was bad mouthing us at the time. So it was a bit of a spite business and she actually had some LED neon signs that she was leasing out. So 
in essence, I overheard uh, that conversation and I essentially said, F that chick and uh, I'm going to start what she's doing and do it better than her. So That's so funny. Believe it or not, it's a spite business and then uh, – Well, you know what? Spite, yeah. spite gets you a long way because like – you know, if you are like a motivated eight out of 10 for your business and then someone does something to you, you know, that like that kind of uh, that causes you more emotion to like more reason to succeed, not just succeed, but to, you know, take a dramatic action in one direction. That that eight out of 10 motivation can very quickly become a 12 out of 10. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Especially when you're competitive too, right? Like I'm just competitive. I always want to beat people. You've always been like that? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah. But sports player when you were young or younger? Because you, how old are you now? Uh, 36. Okay. Well, I'm younger than you. Yeah, you are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've just got a bit more hair than you, man. Yeah, yeah. Fuck. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, hey, let's not throw jabs at the start of the episode. <laughs> that's more of an end of episode. No, that's fine. That's fine. No, I'm fucking losing my hair. It's, it's getting horrible. Honestly, uh, uh, the stress of the stress of work, that's how I know I'm stressed because I actually don't feel stress, funny enough. My, my wife kind of cracked the code because I don't feel stress. I never get stressed. But but if I'm if I am stressed – I can actually like try to pull like hair out. Like, I can literally pull my hair out. That's probably but not good. No, but when I'm on holiday, nothing comes out. Or like when I'm not working, nothing comes out. Interesting. So, yeah, isn't that like sometimes you're not feeling the stress, but yeah. your body's feeling it. Somewhere. You can do what a couple of my friends do and uh, head over to Istanbul. For yeah, a, uh, nah, nah, I'm not into that. <laughs> nah, fair. I'm just, if I go bold, I'm bold. And yeah. Embrace I look it. Like a, yeah, I look yeah. mad bold anyway. I yeah. care less. Yeah, that's cool. But, um, but um, we start talking about my hair. We keep talking about things we're not supposed to talk about in this episode. Carb my hair. What, <laughs> what so a, good. What, give me another random thing. So good. So yeah. good. But um, so that's how you started the business. And, and was there any thinking in terms of um, why that would be a good business to be? No, none at all. So to be honest, it w- didn't the concept started back then. So it was still the wedding events DJ business. Um, and then COVID came along. And so six, nine months of events and gigs essentially dissipated. So uh, essentially, you know, wife at home, didn't work, a couple of kids, a couple of mortgages, uh, I need to sort of do something and I didn't want to go back to the nine to five. So I had this little thing called Kings of Neon on the side and uh, me and my mate went separate ways with that particular business. And in essence, um, that's when Kings of Neon was born. So it's just me hustling in a, in a warehouse solo and just sort of fighting the good fight. And so explain the business to me then. So what does it actually do? So we sell LED neon signs as in its holistic self. So uh, pretty much anything that you can imagine. So whether it's text or whether it's a picture or anything like that will turn into an LED neon sign. And then there's a sort of printing element to it. And what, what are businesses using that for? Like a lot of restaurants have them like as like a, a message you know, within the restaurant and a lot of, I guess, companies have it in their offices for things. But like what, what, what are the reasons primarily people are buying neon signs? It's really everything and everything. Uh, anything, sorry, to be honest. Uh, so look, it could be, I guess, individuals for their house. Uh, it could be occasions, you know, 18th and 21st, but right through to, you know, we've done big sort of setups for, you know, Bob Jane, T-Marts or Lollapalooza or NFL, um, all, all sorts of different businesses. So, yeah. And so how do you market that? Like how are you finding clients? I think – Because it actually is a very marketable company. And I can't imagine there being a huge amount of competition in this space. I might be wrong, so correct me. But but it's like it's one of those businesses that's catchy, unique, and like marketable enough that you can actually start, you know, 
putting some big numbers up. For sure. I think to be honest, to begin with, we were quite, I was quite lucky in a certain sense that rode the very early sort of, um, I guess, wave of that sort of, I guess, phenomenon. So LED neon wasn't a thing all of five or six years ago. So it was glass neon. Glass neon's really hard to ship, really hard to, I guess, um, move around and it's actually not good. It can break and, and you can, you know. It's more dangerous. Hurt your fingers, yeah. So in essence, yeah, LED Neon sort of took this wave and then uh, now we do have around probably about 1,000 competitors because it is a dropship model in essence. So it's a very easy way to sort of get into the market. So uh, we've had a lot of competitors that have come and gone and a bunch that sort of hung along with us. That's really interesting though. So how do you survive, have an industry or a space that has that many competitors? Yeah, it's a point of difference. So for us, it's more of a branding play, if anything. So branding and or uh, customer service. So we've probably niched into a side of customer service. Just from my background, I feel more, I guess, uh, comfortable in sales and that customer service background. So that's been our niche. We've got a lot of larger clients and a lot of corporate clients as well. And uh, we've sort of stuck away too much from the e-commerce and sort of very like fast fashion sort of element of it. And when you say branding, do you mean building the company's brand or do you mean? Yeah. Yeah. So building the company's brand. Um, and when I say branding and building the company's brand, it's more around the referrals. It's more around um, what we stand for in the ways of our service and, you know, how quickly we can deliver a great product and how quickly we can fix maybe not the best experience as well. Uh, so, and then also just our reviews. So very quickly we pushed to get the highest reviews in, in the market. And, uh, that's been a sort of cornerstone of who we are. Okay. So that's, that's really interesting. So basically you're in a space where like drop shipping made it really easy for businesses to create, or really easy for people to create businesses that sell the same product as you, but people that are drop shipping, maybe they're not really they're kind of side hustle businesses, low cost entry businesses. These people aren't providing the best level of customer service. So you said, okay, well, while the market's getting flooded with all these new players that are, you know, kind of rookies to the game, is it? Or you, I don't want to say not real businesses, but that's how you know you could potentially look at them if you were a fully fledged established business. That that's all you're doing is you know you're you're running it, um, um, Kings and Neon. You've gone and said, okay, we're going to be the opposite to that. So while our product potentially may not differ so much, what can we diff- What can we use to, to be different? And the difference is then customer service. Yeah, I think it wasn't uh, by any way, shape or means something that we wanted to really focus on. It, again, it was just me just hustling at the time and I just needed to bring cash in whichever way I knew how in essence. So because I came from a sales background, my way of bringing cash in is I used to call abandoned checkouts, you know, so it's, I thought everyone did it at the time, but then I found out that no one does, you know, they wait for the email or the text message or whichever else, but literally within five or 10 minutes, I'd be picking up the phone and asking people, Hey, why didn't you buy? And just try and work through the solution, work through the, the problem with them and try and get them to buy on the spot with me. And that's how I just sort of collectively just got more and more cash until I could obviously advertise as well. Okay. So, so before they even purchased, they were just on the website, they were at the checkout, you'd then call them. Yeah. Well, I had nothing to do. So I had all of 100, 200 people on the website. So I literally knew when people were going to hit the website at the present time and I'd watch them and I'd watch them go through the checkout experience on Shopify. And then I go, are they going to buy? Are they going to buy? And then they didn't. 
they'd just fall into the abandoned checkout and then I'd pick up the phone in essence. So That's brilliant. Yeah. See, that's the type of stuff businesses need to do at the start. Like that is the essential thing. It's, it's really, what would you call it? Like just not customer feedback. It's like user experience, user understanding, sorry, customer understanding, customer experience. Like really just figuring out, like just speaking communication to the customer. Mm. That's the key. And you only really get that in that way at the very start of a business. You know, I'm sure it's very different now, for example, for you. It is different, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah being honest, it is different. Uh, would you try and obviously keep that mantra throughout the business and, and obviously still call our abandoned checkouts? Uh, but one do one thing we do is if we get a new lead, um, we'll try and call them within five or ten minutes, which I think is, a, is very odd in the e-commerce uh, game to obviously sort of call leads for one. A lot of people just do it through emails, uh, then secondary I just think it's good while people are in the moment to actually sort of talk to them about their sort of particular problem or what they're after as well. Yeah. Number one rule of sales too is kind of like the longer it takes to get the sale, the less likely it's going to happen. You know, if they're there and they're interested, you, you want to do everything in your power while that's the situation to, sure. to yeah. get them over the line. Yeah, so it's, it's a big bother in life. I go to – obviously there's a lot of tech and SaaS uh, platforms that we sort of – have to have um, in this game and I'll go around at a certain conference or whichever like that and I'll connect with them and they're like, you know what, let's let's get on a, a, get on a call, let's chat and I don't hear from them for weeks. So, so I just, I do wonder, especially, you know, we've got an average sale of $1,100, how powerful that could be with an average sale of, you know, 50, 100, 200 you know, or even more. And I wonder, so you said that um, having, uh, having the most customer reviews on Google was a huge um, advantage to your business at the start. How did you actually get the reviews? How did you facilitate customers to doing it? Because, you know, just doing a good job doesn't mean you're going to get a good review. So what were you doing to create those reviews? I think I just annoyed people, to be completely honest, um, in, in the nicest way, you know, it's in, in the ways that, you know, if they had a great experience, I just kept asking them. And initially everyone says yes. And then if they said yes and then didn't do it, I'd just follow up and then I'd keep going with those follow-ups. Uh, for us, we had a few legacy players uh, in LED neon signs at the time. So I, the only really way that I could see to outmarket them uh, because we didn't have the budgets at that present time was to obviously outmarket them by the ways of reviews. So uh, it was just a focus in essence. So we again, would call the customers instead of sending those emails. So not only we send the emails, we'd send a text message and then we actually call them as well and ask them to do them. I think what's important there is that you had a system towards obtaining reviews. You know, it wasn't just, okay, you know, every now and then we'll call some customers and ask them for reviews or, you know, it was a clear system that every time someone purchased they received a phone call, a text message and a this. Or, or, and I'm sure there was, if we didn't get them, then we have to do this, you know, if we didn't get onto them. Having a system, like I always say cup, well, I always say to everyone actually, but if you don't have a system towards something, then it's not a part of the business. It's just, it's like a business running with no operations. It's just a bunch of random people doing a bunch of random things. You know, system is crucial. And, and I, I think like having a system towards obtaining reviews positive reviews ideally. Yeah, of course. Is 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 crucial. And it's something that any business can use and it makes such a difference. Like especially in online retail, when you see like a thousand five-star reviews, you're kind of like, well, a thousand people can't be wrong. Oh, you know, of course, yeah. When you see 15, you're like, okay, it could be his mum and cousins. Yeah, so it, it, I saw a stat that I was at a, a conference the other week as well. They're seven to ten times more likely to purchase 
if they've seen a positive review. So, and over 10 reviews, it goes up even higher again. So it's just that, you know, it, like we, we do buy in numbers, we do buy based off trust and value. So if we can see the value there, but we can't see the trust, we're going to have, we're going to be uncertain. But then if we can see the trust as well through numbers, then we're going to be more likely to buy. Mm. And you said you're from the Central Coast? Yes. Whereabouts? Uh, so I grew up in a place called Berkeley Vale, um, so closest to, you know, Tugra, between Tugra and, and Gosford there. Uh, oh, I know Gosford. Yep. And and we, so were your parents in business or did you, like what what made you get in, want to get in business? Was it something that you thought you'd do your whole life or was, did it just happen? Um, I think uh, it's interesting. I, I, I read into a lot about sort of entrepreneurs and, and why they do things and whichever else. Um, there's one that sort of landed well and it doesn't sound nice when you sort of talk it out loud, but it's probably rings true is you almost have a superiority complex where you believe in essence that you can do more or are better at, at other humans at doing a particular thing. And I always felt like I was destined for more. I always felt like I could achieve great things, but the system that I was in at the time, I didn't necessarily understand it. Uh, I guess the benefit though, from my parents' perspective is my dad was always a dreamer. He was always sort of that guy that was sort of trying those new things or, um, you know, hustling for that next sort of paycheck or, you know, putting things together to sort of make ends meet for the family. And I think, you know, even certain things uh, when I was growing up is he used to pay us to read a book, you know, and, and get to the end of the book. I wasn't interested in reading books. I didn't want to uh, play instruments or whichever else, but he incentivized uh, that part of me, which was um, the insecure. I, ju I just want cash as a, as a young kid, sort of teenager. Um, and that made me read. But it's interesting you said that, like, you're – like I, I said the other day that having a, a big sense of personal belief, like a strong personal belief is probably the, no, I actually think I said this in the last episode, but it's like the, if I could teach my kid when I have one, one thing, it would be a strong sense of, of self-belief because mm. when you believe you're capable of doing more, like your chance of doing more is a lot higher, like literally sure. what you described. And, and the fact that you could actually relate that to, you know, your, your dad uh, he, he basically demonstrating mm. his own strong self uh, sense of self-belief, yeah, that would have been learned. You would have seen that and you, you would have learned that and I'm sure that would have given you that, that, um, that ability. Yeah, for sure. I think it's, it's the subtleties that you don't realise. I was talking about it this morning with, it, with some friends and we're talking about Thierry Henry. I was listening to a podcast about him and uh, he said that with his dad, he in essence uh, was – he was born and he was told, like his dad told absolutely everyone that he was going to be the greatest soccer player to ever live. Literally from the day he was born, he goes, so the, he goes, from one standpoint, it was amazing. But from another standpoint, it was so bad because he got essentially, you know, uh, what's the word for it? Um, what am I looking for? You got to help me out well, here. Well, no, I was going to, but I thought maybe you'd say something <laughs> sure. different. But, I, you know, often when people talk a big game, they get a lot of criticism for doing it. For sure. They get a lot of hate and they get a lot of slack until yeah. they actually pull it off. I don't know if you watch the UFC. Love it. Yeah, well, did you see what happened on the weekend? Everyone's talking shit about, including me, <laughs> about Ilya Tapuria, the, the Spanish fighter. I so wanted Volk to win. Of though. course. Of course. It was honestly one of the saddest days of my life. But but um, but as soon as he won, you know, he's, he already had on his uh, Instagram a profile that he was the UFC featherweight champion and he was already talking a lot of shit. And I was sitting there thinking like, oh, I hope Volk 
you know, puts the heat on you and embarrasses you. And then the second he won, I was like, fuck, got to give it to him. <laughs> he talked shit, but he got there. Respect, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think there's a lot of... Now I like him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's funny how you do instantly like him. I was like, he was the most hated man when I was yeah. watching him. Volk's coming out as an old man. I'm like, oh, it'd be so good when Volk <laughs> smashes him. And then, yeah. Literally wanted him to get his head punched in. But then as soon as he won, I'm like, you know what? He's a pretty good guy. <laughs> it's interesting. So interesting. I felt the same. Um, yeah, look, I think there's... Not a lot of people put themselves out there. And I think there's a real power to putting yourself out there. You know, I'm a believer in sort of quantum elements in those sense that you can sort of perceive the future before it actually comes and you, there is another future going on at the same time. And I think the more you can say it, the more it sort of comes out. You know, even thinking about us being here right now today, um, it was just a, taking the moment of, a, of an opportunity. It was an opportunistic moment and a lot of people would – sort of sit and dwell and wonder in the moment if it was the right thing and what might happen or what will happen or whichever. But if you just put it out there in the open and allow yourself to actually achieve that goal, some amazing things can happen. Yeah. What do you think your superpower is as as a leader or, or as an entrepreneur? I think I'm pretty good at reading people. Um, I, I dig into the psychology of, of people in a sense. Um, I've been lucky to probably – uh, manage a lot of people over my time and have different sort of different types of people as well. You know, from, uh, I used to work at Michael Hill. So I had ladies that were 50, 60, 70 years old, right through to, you know, looking after, you know, kids at fitness first. And there's just sort of different sort of nuances that you can obviously, um, learn, uh, from everyone. And I really sort of get intrigued by why someone feels a certain way or even sort of facial gestures or things like that. And I believe I can, with the fact that I can act in the moment and not wait, I think there's like a sort of a, a power there. Yeah. And, and the reason I ask that is I think like the, oh, what I've found is some of the best entrepreneurs, they understand very clearly what their kind of superpower is. Mm. And then they build teams that complement that, you know, that, that potentially lift them at their area that they're bad at and let them focus on the thing they're good at. Is that something that you've done or tell me about your team structure and, and yeah, so it's a, it's a work in progress. Even I was listening to your podcast uh, last couple as well. And I, I hear you speak, speak about the fact that you had to build the team around you because you weren't necessarily great at systems. You were just sort of figuring it out in the moment. And I really resonated towards that as well. You know, for me, I'm great at the vision. I'm great at the motivation. I'm great at um, sort of acting and doing in the moment, but the systems, the structures, the day-to-day, -day, what I call the mundane tasks aren't necessarily my forte. Um, beginning this journey, I wanted to just, I just wanted anyone to join the journey with me, to be honest. Um, I didn't have a lot of cash, so I sort of just grabbed my sort of band of brothers, so to speak, and uh, took them along the journey. Um, but as we sort of grown and, and developed and diversified, it was very much sort of fitting in that culture fit, uh, but then sort of fixing up where I'm not so great, which is in those sort of system structures and uh, procedures. What do you think came first? The need to hire people based on cultural fit or the need to hire people based on skill set? So what was like what came first uh, or did you just go straight in to get bang on the money culture fit with the right skill set? <laughs> yeah. Look, I mean, I, I think everyone sort of hopes for that. Um, I guess for me to begin with, I actually got a guy I used to work with uh, back in Michael Hill and I somehow convinced him to sort of come along the journey as my sort of number one guy. Um, I literally said to him at the time, I was like, look, I've got three months to pay you after that 
you know, it's either going to be a fun three months or, you know, we can go on a merry way. Um, so I didn't necessarily have that sort of band of cash to really sort of think and do in the moment. I was just more like, I've got a need. I've, I need to make phone calls or I need to serve administration tasks. So I just found those people at the, at the time. Interestingly enough, some of those early guys that, you know, still with us, um, they've become the culture in a certain degree. Um, as we've got sort of bigger and we've got those, uh, I guess those pieces put in place now, it's very much for me, it's all culture, number one, hundred percent culture, and then move on to the skill set. Um, I can teach a skill set. People can learn the skill set in the moment, but you can't teach the culture fit. I agree. I agree with that. Like if I think back to how when we've hired, we have hired sometimes based on the person's company they came from or the person's yeah experience and all that. But to be honest, all those people never lasted for us. Like who who lasts for us are the people that fit our culture and they can always learn. Like they can always learn the skill or, or you find the place in the business that suits that person. Mm. You know, what you hired them for often isn't, the role maybe that they should even be in in the company. But if they're a great asset to the company, you're like, you know what, maybe you should actually be over here. Have you thought about that? Because you said you like this and this and this and that role is that, that and that. So, you know, are you open to moving? Like we, we actually just did that. There were two of our um, – two or three of our team members just literally in the past two weeks changed roles. That's cool. Yeah, not because of um, – they were bad. They're great. That's why – that's. That's why. That's we, why they won, though. Yeah, that's yeah, fair. yeah. But but because that we well, I kind of identified in one-on-one meetings with them that what they were saying they really wanted to do, and what they were saying they didn't like currently about what they're doing. Mm. I was like, this person's in the wrong role, and I hinted it to them. I didn't say, hey, you should move. I just say, hey, have you ever thought about this? And as it turns out, they hadn't. <laughs> but but. As soon as I said it, they were like, oh, wow, that would be amazing. I gave them a week to think about it. Uh, one in particular came back and and uh, she was really excited. She was like it's all awesome. in. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I think it's, it's um, I think th- get- that shows the power, the importance of like speaking to team members in a one-on-one environment, just seeing how they're going. Mm. Yeah. I think there's a, there's just such a power. Again, I heard it from a previous conference, uh, uh, previous podcast as well. I love how you reference in the podcast. No, you're like welcome. You're welcome. Uh, so it was just a fact. Like that's the thing. I, I do exactly the same thing. I, I talk about. Uh, so I've got a girl named Bree. So Bree came on board, and she was 17. So she was higher number two in essence. And uh, now she looks after our US business of all things, so uh, which has become larger than our Australian business. And on that journey, she's literally went from admin and then she kind of rolled over to a little bit of social media and then she was a bit unsure and possibly left and then moved into sales and then then sat into, you know, obviously USA sales. And now she's like, she fits in, like she's, this is her little spot. Um, I've got a, another lady who's actually in London at the moment too. And you know, normally that would mean if you're moving away from the office, especially a Central Coast business, that you're out. Uh, but we created another little, uh, side business, a marketing business, because she was very entrepreneurial as well. And uh, to just just to give it a try, right? You know, we had a, a bunch of different businesses come to us and ask us, who does your marketing? We're like, well, we do it in-house. And they're like, well, can we jump on board as well? And she wanted to take on a business. And I said, look, you know what? Um, the day-to-day roles of Kings and Neon, it's probably not there and a bit hard to do from London, but if you want to come and do this and I'll help you along the way, we can do that for a bit and see how it goes. Wow, that's cool. 
Yeah. yeah, that's bang on the money. It's literally what I was saying. Yeah, yeah. that that's powerful. I yeah. think business owners don't have enough of that. A lot of people are saying, like, the the, the standard thought process is there's a role. We need to find someone that fits it. And to an extent, that is important because you do need operations, and operations need roles that fulfil, you know, certain functions of that operation. Mm. So you still there is that element of you need that. But I do always love the idea of, of of making something work for a person as well, like thinking the other way. Not so not just sure. having the role, filling that role, but also he's a person I love. How do we fulfill that person? You know, and yeah. it's just a different way to think about it. I think as well, there's like a real. It's interesting because like we're you're on a podcast now, right? So you're 194. No, I don't know um, what is this, Laura. 195 episodes in. That's a lot of hours. You know, this has been going for like how long, Laura? Four years. That's amazing. Isn't that wild? It, it went fast. But you think about back then, four years ago, you weren't a podcast specialist, were you? Right. No, like, I, but if you were to speak about podcasts now, I'm sure you could give a whole lot of wisdom around how to sort of interview people and how to sort of go about it. And you think about then, if you were amazing back then, four years ago, but you were pretty average at podcasts, but now four years later, you're amazing at podcasts and still great for the culture as well. And people have got a very impatient view of humans, in my opinion, um, in the sense that like we've spent all this time investing in this person just because they want to change roles or have a different experience within this company doesn't mean they should lose their job. It means that us as the leader should find a different job for them or create a job or for me it's like I need to just be better. Well, I think it's kind of like can, can I create something? So does this person's goals and the company's goals align in some way and can I find that alignment? Mm. You know, that's really what you should be doing. That, that That's kind of how, how I guess I think a simple way to describe it. Yeah. And then as a – you know, as a leader, we should be, you you should be doing we should be doing that always. Like I I think business is like a, a vehicle, and yes, the vehicle is getting you from point A to point B, but the business also has to get every single team member, um, from their point A mm. to their point B. And while they may be different points to yours, their, their points are equally as important because you need them to get to yours. For sure. And so it's kind of a question of like, and that's where I really believe that like honest, open, regular communication um, um, is, is crucial because that's when you find out about, oh, what is their point B? You know, what, what, how are they envisioning their near future? And yeah. are we making sure that they're aware of how they're going to get there at our business? Because if they're not, they might start looking for other ways to get there and at other businesses. And we don't want them to leave because if they leave, it's going to cost a lot of money. It's annoying. I have to hire someone. Hopefully I like them. I might not. They have to go. Like, you know, not that you'd fire someone because you don't like them, but the business doesn't like them for whatever reason. Um, um, like, you know, having those conversations is, is important and celebrating mm. when you do those things you did. Like, for example, if I were you, I'm sure you've done this, but the lady that went to London, I would be celebrating that in the whole you know, team meetings or conferences or whatever you do, like the fact that this is what happened and you did this because then everyone starts thinking like, wow, this is a company that, you know, is willing to give me an opportunity and give me yeah. a – not that you want them all moving to London and, and doing – you know, no, but, but if it aligns, you do. Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. I think it's just – yeah, for me, I kind of – I buy into, I guess, the whole experience. I always sort of remember – I think it's – I think it's Apple – where there's like a, there's literally a city, right, of all the 
early Apple employees and they've got these like $10 million homes, you know, all lined up, right? I was just, I always sort of imagine, imagine if that was me and I gave my early stage employees all that opportunity to sort of grow and develop and, and have great sort of financial lives as well. And so that's where I sort of see it too. And, and also we do all this for a sense of belonging. We just want connections at the end of the day. A lot of the time business owners start businesses to have a greater sense of belonging um, as well. So I think if you, you're too quick to sort of cut off those belongings and those relationships, you're probably missing the whole point. Yeah, that's interesting though. Start a business for a sense of belonging. Talk more about that. Yeah, so um, I've deep dove in, in this a little bit and um, it was kind of, we were trying to work, I was with a mate at the time and um, it, was, it was a different experience, just put it that way. So we were doing a different experience and we were away at sort of like a retreat and we were sort of uh, working out. Like an ayahuasca or something. Yeah, yeah. Did yeah. I guess that? No, oh, but, we're, but pretty much. It was just <laughs> mushrooms. So you we um, so in essence, why, why? Yeah. Like what so you're at a mushroom, you obviously take mushrooms, trip out. You want to find something, find an answer, see the world in a different yeah. way, solve some problem. What was it? Give us the real story. Well, in essence, that was the real story. So I just wanted to, my mind races. It, 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 I struggled to slow it down a lot of the time. And um, I guess- Use uh, alcohol, not mushrooms. Well, it, it depends. I'm joking. <laughs> I'm, joking. I'm, joking. I'm, joking. I'm just saying you want to slow your mind down. Yeah, alcohol, just, yeah like it, I guess for me, um, I, I actually don't drink that often at all. And um, I actually don't always enjoy the social elements that come along with alcohol too. So I don't always sort of- attribute myself to those experiences. So uh, he had obviously a little bit more sort of experience in it. And we went on this retreat in essence, just to like connect as a human. It, it, the whole idea of taking mushrooms is to sort of connect more to your sort of your soul, your true self. And um, we were sort of just sort of throwing a few things out there and uh, we were trying to figure out what's the through line to people. What's the general through line? And we came up with love, right? So everyone wants to feel love. And then but there's like a loneliness to, to love. So you can have loneliness. Um, but then we sort of got to the point of, of a sense of belonging. And you think about everything that we do, whether it be in business or whether it be joining a club or eating a particular food or training or things like that, it's all for the sense of a belonging because without belonging to a particular thing, um, we really have nothing. I agree. Well, I mean, I, I preaching to the choir there, I think community is the most important aspect. Community and love are the most important aspects of life mm. or success in any field. But you said that you thought there was a loneliness to love. What did you mean by that? Uh, I guess we were just trying to find what's the – Let's, what's a, a through line? With Can you paint the picture too for me? So where are you? On mushrooms, you sit next to your friend in what, <laughs> what country? Oh, I'm a bit afraid that uh, different people will hear this, but it doesn't matter. Um, so we're at Dangor Island. Yeah. Uh, so at the um, – do you know Dangor Island off no. Brooklyn? No. Uh, so Brooklyn, you know Brooklyn? In New York. No, Brooklyn here in Sydney. Oh, no. I know the one in New York. No, no, no. So there's a, there's a, place, there's a place called Brooklyn, which is on the sort of uh, – it's on the Hawkesbury River. Yep. Okay, so I know, you, I know the you jump over the Hawkesbury River and there's another place called Dangor Island. It's a mm. bit of a, you know, kind of a, you know, interesting place. You know, some different sort of people sort of stay there. So uh, he's come from Queensland. Uh, we're here. We're hanging out. We're actually best mates as well, but he now works with me in a, in a different business as well. And in essence, we just wanted to – he's done a – he's done ayahuasca a couple of times and he's sort of done mushrooms and whichever else. I kind of think he's like the most – 
aggressive but zen human I've possibly ever met. And there's something about that and the transference of his journey uh, that I was really interested in. So I obviously joined him on uh, that experience there. So, yeah. And did you find that it, it be, I mean, there's a, uh, mushrooms just actually became legalized for use by, um, by certified, no, certified or trained uh, uh, therapists in Australia. Mm. Actually, one of the members of CUB, Aileen, she's like one of the first therapists. What's Aileen's actual um, title, Laura? Clinical. Clinical psychologist. Okay. She's one of the first to have approval to actually uh, use um, uh, mushrooms, but the actual drug that's in the mushrooms called, oh, it'll come to me. I've been obsessed with it lately. What's it called? It'll come to me. Um, to use it to help uh, people with like anxiety, depression, uh, PTSD, uh, all sorts of things. Mm. Did you find that you had some sort of positive impact from the experience or? Yeah, definitely. Well, that's sort of saying that my mind. Psilocybin. Sorry. Psilocybin. You got it. <laughs> yeah. I saw you Laura, <laughs> Laura started looking it up. I was yeah, like, no, yeah. I've got to figure it out before she nice, looks it up. Nice. Yeah. That's so good. <laughs> There's that competitive nature yeah. coming out. Um, yeah. So look for me again, because my mind races, I, I probably don't take it. I don't take a knee too often and, and because I don't t- have alcohol too often either. Um, that's a positive. Yeah, yeah, to some degree. So like I'm a zero to hero kind of guy. So if I have a drink, I'll typically want 30. Um, so yeah, so that was kind of, it, I think it just gave me a moment to sort of sit in my in my thoughts and just relax, to be completely honest. You know, it's interesting to sort of go through a period and, you know, I think we were just chilling out for like eight or nine hours and the time just sort of flew by. We didn't look at the phones. We didn't look at the TV. We were just hanging out by the river, just chatting as two mates, which is a quite a weird concept when you think about it. And, and you think from that experience, the one, the, the most important thing you took away was the importance of belonging and love in life. Yeah. That's pretty special. Yeah. Yeah. I'm relating that to business because that's how I look at business too. Yeah. I look, I look at it very much as, um, like a community, which I guess provides belonging and, and ideally love. Love is like the ultimate form of the best possible community. So, for example, you, know, you love your family because mm. it's the best community in your life. That, that's the one that gives you the most because there is love. You might love your closest friends or your friendship circle. And then as the communities get further and further out, it becomes less love, but there can still be yeah, a sense of respect or like or friendship and all these things. And so there's different layers layers of, of, of community importance, yeah. which you could argue that love is kind of the pinnacle. It is, you know? yeah. And I think interesting where you said layers there, um, I think it's the layers within like that we put out to the world that keeps us away from love too on the flip side. So I think naturally we all want to connect on a deeper level but yet it's the layers that we put in, in front of that love. Uh, that that keep prevent us, that. Yeah, that prevents it. Yeah. Should have brought some mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe next time. Oh, Jake. And so tell me, what else about the business? So you mentioned you're good at marketing. Yeah. How? Uh, I think it's the psychology element again, uh, to be completely honest. I think there's, if you can break down the customer's journey and understand exactly who you're marketing to in that particular moment, uh, there's something um, there's something purity, I guess. So you, you want to obviously, uh, look for the dream state. So when you're marketing, you want to look for the dream state. So in essence, if I'm going to be a cub member, I want to have 
you know, 50 connections and I'm going to be up on top of a pedestal, whatever it may be, right? Like what's the dream state of that particular individual or your particular avatar? And then you want to market to that dream state. So you want to take them from a problem and then you want to give them that dream state. And if you can obviously bring them along that journey through marketing, uh, it's going to be a better, you know, better way to sell or an easy easier sell. Now, I read this thing or I listened to this thing, I can't remember, but he was the uh, one of the Brian Chesky, one of the co-founders of Airbnb, and he was saying that one thing that they were doing, which I think is what you're describing, was that they would um, create like an experience for different stars. So they'd say, okay, what's the like, what's the average experience that an Airbnb um, person would 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 have? So like, what's what what's the minimum requirement that we'd give them? What's the five? And they walk through, you know, you'd, you'd find the thing, you'd pay, you'd arrive and it'd be what you want. You know, it'd be, it'd be what was in the pictures. That's kind of like the base. And then they would work to six, seven, eight, and then 10 was like they, they, pull, they, they land at the airport and there's crowds of people like welcoming them and cheering for them. They enter a limo with a, you know, like they have the movie star kind of life uh, cool. experience. Yeah. And I thought that was a cool experience because he said, you're never going to give them the 10. No. Um, but if you know what the 10 is, you can get as close to it as possible. And it gives you new, it gives you ideas to, as to how to get to like the seven or the eight. For sure. You know, and, and I thought that was a, re- is that kind of what you're describing or no? In essence, yeah. I mean, it's, yes, it's doing the exact, exactly what they want to achieve by having your product and or service. It's like the, the best possible unique outcome. But the only problem with that is if you market it, you have to deliver it too. Yeah, correct. Yeah, correct. So I, I guess it's it's still it's it's hard to obviously you know market that dream state, but you you just got to particularly for us we've got a number of different avatars in the sense of we've got a number of different customers. We can literally have a you know direct to consumer, but then we might deal with you know F one for instance, and they're two completely different uh, people. But interesting in a sense, even bringing back to that belonging again is like still. People just want to do a good job or have the best possible outcome of that particular job. So there's generally a through line in the sense that, you know, even if they're working for a really large corporate or if they're just a mum and dad at home, they just still want to have that recognition of getting a really great product in their hands. So trying to sort of take out um, all those, again, trust and value, try and take out all those sort of pieces of the puzzle to make sure that they both trust and and value. Take out any, any barrier to the Yeah, any barriers, buying, that's basically. the one. Yeah, yeah. And so you said you have a lot of avatars. So you understand the different types of, the different demographics of customer you have and the different needs, why those demographics thing. And then do you create an ad for each demographic, like for each avatar? Yeah, so it, essentially easier said than done, but it, in essence, that's what we try and do because we've got a large B2B uh, element to our business. So it's pretty much 70% of our business is B2B and custom work and then 30% of it's online. So we've got this real sort of segmentation with our business where it's it's hard to market to um, being one of both of the same. So um, yeah, because so, that particular one customer has a longer lead time, has different sort of nuances and things that they think about, whereas the direct-to-consumer is more about sort of value and um, getting, you know, a good deal in essence and getting it really fast, whereas this customer wants to a, a very quality product and, and wants that trust and the whole service longevity. And so what's then, what's your vision for the business? You, cause you, you, you've mentioned a couple of times that you've, you've grown internationally now, and I know you've won a lot of, or you've been nominated for a lot of uh, awards and fast growth, the, the, 
Fin Review or whatever it was, Fast Growing, and a lot of the Fast Growing, I'll say them in the introduction That's good. for anyone. That, yeah, yeah. But um, um, so, you know, you, you, you've, been doing, you've been doing well. You've been doing very well. But you're on upward trajectory. What, what is your grander vision for the company? Where are you going? Yeah, so we want to take on the signage market. So Australia's $4 billion signage market. Um, uh, the US is $35 billion, So that's what we want to take on. We believe it's an old, outdated, uh, very wrinkly industry uh, with a few dinosaurs in there, and we just want to disrupt it. So we're going to go in and take that. That's awesome. Yeah. I think that's a great understanding of the, of yeah. the, of, of the direction. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, normally, we're, we're at time, aren't we? Yeah. Normally, um, we are you a big reader? I think you said you weren't a reader. Yeah. No, I am now. You've changed now. I, I'm well, that's funny. I, I'm I was changed. like that too. Yeah. yeah. I never read a book until I started Cub. But what's what would be um, the most influential book you've ever read in terms of business or life? I think, I, I think I'm not sure if you agree with me, but different books do different things to you at different periods of your life. I think um, one of the um, – Oddly reading The 48 Laws of Power, which if you ever look it up, it's a bizarre book. Have you read it? Great book, yeah. Yeah, it's like it yeah. challenges your, your thought process um, completely. Uh, but I say like uh, James Clear, Atomic Habits is probably one of the ones for me because I've got quite a, a erratic mind sometimes. I need that structure and, you know, the habit stacking. Um, so bringing an element of, I guess, uh, routine into my life has been Quite beneficial. Particularly like the visionary type, style people that have the big ideas and are impulsive. They're, they're the ones that, that they benefit for. Like, I say they're like it's not me, but it, it is because I'm the same. We benefit more from structure and like habits, you know, just systemize habits into your day to keep you focused so you don't get, you know, lost into the with the fairies. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Um, you know what you should read? There's, I think it's from the same people that did 48 Laws of Power. But it's called Power vs. Force. Okay. Have you seen that one? No, I haven't. It's like a black, it's half black, half white cover, like cover picture. It's Power vs. Force. I'm fairly certain it's the same author, but you should read that too. It's really yeah, good. interesting. Um, and to our listeners, if you want to get in contact with Stephen um, or get some mad neon lighting for your businesses, uh, go to King's o- – kingsoneon.com. Don't go there first. You can go there, but first you go to cub.club forward slash podcast and then you go, Jesus. There you go. There you <laughs> What's your website anyway? You may as well say it Yeah, now. kingsoneon.com.au. There you are. Yeah, you yeah. go there too, but after you go to Cub um, and you can get in contact with Stephen, you can see uh, greatest lessons in business, favourite quotes and uh, a bunch of other great content from um, our uh, other guests. And you can catch up with Cub on social media at Club United Business on Instagram. It's also awesome. Uh, Steve, thank you so much again. Do you like Steve? I should ask Steve's you. Steve's great. Yeah, yeah. Steve, thank you so much again. Welcome. Um, thank you. For thank coming out today. And, and thank you for jumping on last minute and saving our asses for today's episode. Appreciate it. Thank you. Awesome. Hope you enjoyed the show.